Hi, Pastor Anthony here. At Vintage Faith Church, we stand behind the Bible's claim to be the Word of God, and we believe that the Scriptures contain everything needed for life and godliness. The Scriptures testify to the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. We pray that this recording stirs your faith towards that end. This is in no way meant to be a substitute for the local church gathering, which we believe is critical to your growth as a Christian and your walk with Christ. We pray that you will find the sermon edifying and challenging. Thank you for listening. Well, today uh, we, we have the blessing of having Brandon Owen uh, feed us God's word. Brandon is from Clay Community Church. He is a friend of mine. I have been getting to know him and uh, just have a ton in common with this brother, um, have been encouraged by him. Uh, he's been it, it, leading Clay Community Church for is it seven years, eight, seven years now? Um, just theologically, we're aligned, and, and, and there's just a lot of good happening um, in this partnership. So I am super excited to have Brandon uh, be feeding us the word today. So let's listen with eager hearts and ears as Brandon preaches through Ephesians. Well, good morning, Vintage Faith. It is a great joy to be here this morning. I bring uh, heartfelt greetings, grace, and peace from Clay Community Church. They are uh, gathered right now praying for you specifically as a church this morning. And so we're really excited uh, at the opportunity both to be here, but to really just begin to grow in relationship with you. Some of you, uh, if you've been at Vintage Faith for any bit of time, may remember that Clay Community Church used to be a Trinity Evangelical Presbyterian Church, which actually used to meet in the same space as Vintage Faith. So long before I knew Anthony, long before, I think, were you here at that time? So you were here, but I didn't, I wasn't around. I had nothing, I was not even here. But apparently our churches have a ton of history and a relationship with one another, and I'm really excited that we're growing in our relationship together. Um, I, like Anthony said, I've been there seven years. It's been a great grace and an opportunity. I'm humbled to be able to serve there alongside one of our other uh, pastors and elders, uh, Len Flack there, and um, I'm excited to be able to open God's Word with you this morning. Um, I actually live here on the east side, and uh, our, my family and I have made a home, uh, really a little farm out here, and really enjoy uh, being able to just be out and uh, outside a lot. And so if, you're, uh, if you like being outside or you want to talk uh, farm, or working with your hands, I'm really excited to do that. If you want to talk being in a cold office with a computer, um, I believe there's a gentleman in the back who's really interested in that kind of stuff. Um, but nonetheless, excited to be here and open God's Word. So we, uh, you have been traveling through the book of Ephesians, and this morning, uh, as was just read, we're in Ephesians uh, chapter 3, verses 7 through 13. And so if you have your Bible with you, I'd encourage you to open it. I'm going to be referring back to the Scripture um, quite often this morning. I'll be reading through portions of it uh, over and again. But really, um, here is what we see today. And so if you, if you get nothing else out of today, um, I want you to get this simple phrase that Paul here is expressing how he is overwhelmed by and proclaiming and demonstrating the grace of God. I'll say that again. Paul is here talking about being overwhelmed by 
proclaiming and demonstrating the grace of God. We sang about that this morning, right? Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. Praise be to God for his grace to each of us, an unmerited free gift. And that's what Paul has been writing about. So you've been in the previous couple uh, ch- uh, verses and the, right into chapter two, we've been talking about this, this one new humanity that God has now divide, broken down the dividing walls of hostility and united Jew and Gentile, slave free, uh, male female, all of it just united as one. He's making one new humanity, one new man under the headship of Christ. And then la- that was two weeks ago. And then, and then last week you looked about the fact that we're, we are fellow citizens Together, Paul says, listen, I'm a prisoner for Christ, and I am, as behalf of a steward of Christ, coming to share with you the mystery of Christ. That what God has been doing and hasn't revealed until this time is redeeming a people for his own possession. And Paul here is saying, listen, this is my job to reveal this mystery to you. God gave it to me. It's what he's been doing, and now I'm going to give it to you. And so Paul says, listen, this is the gospel. The mystery is this. This is what he says in uh, chapter 3, verses 6, kind of just preceding. says, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Jesus Christ through the gospel. And that sounds incredible to us. It's like, yes, that's great because I don't, I don't know how, I haven't met everybody here this morning, but I don't know how many Jewish individuals there are in this room. I would venture to guess probably not many. Therefore, that particular verse means that the majority of us, those who are Gentiles outside of the covenant promises of, of God through Israel, we get to be partakers in God's grace. That's a good news. You can be excited about that. A couple of you are like, yeah, I don't know. Like, that's really good. That's really good. Now you have to understand that when Paul says that to a mixed Jewish and Gentile audience, that would have been blasphemous. There would have been people who would have been mad and angry and thought, Paul, you are crazy. There's no way. But Paul goes on here in our verses today and says, listen, I want to tell you about this grace and what we do with it. And so Paul begins in verse seven. He says, listen, of this gospel, of this good news that God's making one new humanity and he's uniting Jew and Gentile together. He's making a one new man to represent him. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. And to me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given. Paul here in these uh, verses seven and the first half of eight is, is understanding something to be true because he's been given this opportunity to reveal this mystery. He is overwhelmed by the grace of God here. Overwhelmed by the grace of God. He's making reference to his conversion here in seven and eight. He's really an understanding that on on the road to Damascus, the man who was at that time Saul was going to go murder Christians in another city. And the grace of God met him on the road. Actually, Jesus himself meets him there on the road and begins this beautiful painting of painting God's grace in his life, redeeming an insolent opponent, as Paul calls himself, to a man 
of God's grace to reveal the mystery that God is creating one new man, both Jew, Gentile, slave free. Furthermore, he was not only going to convert him, but make him a minister of this gospel, Paul writes here. And it was not something that was earned. Paul certainly didn't deserve it. He had been an opponent to the good news of Jesus Christ. He himself had been been, uh, both murdering and bringing Christians to prison at that point. And so so certainly nothing that he deserved. If anything, he deserved death. But God, being rich in love and mercy, extended his grace to Paul. And Paul here is recognizing that he has been overwhelmed by the grace of God. And that he had been given this all-important ministry, not by his own work, but by the power and the work of God. And I don't think Paul's uh, humility here is hyperbolic. He's not being like, oh, let me just show you how incredibly humble I am. Because anybody who says, hey, let me show you how incredibly humble I am, generally is not very humble, are they? No, Paul here, he's kind of not inflating himself, but he's saying, listen, I am overwhelmed by this. See, it's an honest evaluation of recognizing that he once was dead and now has been made alive. That he was once deserving of wrath, but now has received mercy and grace. See, Paul recognized the enormity of what God had done in transforming his own life. And he was overwhelmed by that. Now, if we take a moment to pause and consider the fact that each and every one of us has a story of God's grace of our lives, don't we? Each of us, at some point here, you're here for, for a number of reasons, but really there's probably like two categories this morning. So there's, there's those who have experienced God's grace or overwhelmed by God's grace and have responded to God's grace and therefore are here to worship God and our Savior Jesus Christ for what he has done for us. But there are those possibly here this morning, maybe you're here and you're like, you know, I'm not so sure about this, this whole God thing and who this Jesus is and what is this free gift you keep telling me? Because usually if somebody says they want a free gift, they charge shipping, okay? If that's you this morning, I want you to understand something. The thing this morning, this experience of God's overwhelming forgiveness, love and mercy for you, there is no tricks. There is no shipping and handling you have to pay. It is a, something that God has done on your behalf, and I pray that it would be something that you can marvel and wonder and discover more about as we continue on and as you, pour, you know, begin to uh, experience and learn about that here with somebody this morning. But if we think about God's story of grace in our own lives and what he has done, we too, if we pause for a moment, need to pa- marvel and wonder at what he has done. I don't know what your story is and, and what the Lord has brought you out of or what it may be. Maybe, maybe you grew up in a Christian home and you've, you've come to faith kind of along the way and you're not quite sure, but it was just something that was always a part of your family. And so, you know, to go to church was, to, was part of being part of the family. Maybe you were rescued like Paul was out of a, a tremendously difficult life situation and completely transformed. And you can remember that day like it was yesterday. And there's a myriad of stories in between, but whatever it is, 
as we take a moment to pause and reflect upon it, we need to think about just how much God has transformed our lives and his ongoing story of grace. I'm not talking about just that moment, but the ongoing story of God's grace in your life and how he continues to give you beautiful gifts of grace that we do not deserve. Anybody wake up this morning and take a very deep breath? You have shoes on your feet, you're able to to be able to drive here unhindered, that we've gathered in worship in a public place, really? These are tremendous, beautiful gifts of God's grace to us. So as we think about what are the ways, and the tremendous ways in which God has given us such an overwhelming grace, I want you to, to pause and think about those and, and really be overwhelmed because none of us deserve it. We can't earn it, but God has given it to us. In fact, that's what Paul writes about in chapter two. And I won't belabor the point here with this, but he says, listen, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. And once you were once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit is alive, the sons of disobedience. And then verse four says, but God. It's my favorite word in all of the Bible, but. My kids laugh at that. They're like, dad's favorite word is but. No, but it is, Right? Dead, but God. Right? That's right. Amen. That's what God did. He was rich in mercy because of his great love, made us alive in Christ. That should overwhelm each of us every day. So Paul here is reminding us of the the overwhelming grace of God, and it is shown to us as verse five, chapter two, verse five says, in Christ. Paul here is is highlighting that there is one Savior for all time. One Savior. He says, look at uh, verse um, 7. I've been given this gift according to God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. Although on the very least, this grace was given. The grace to be able to share these things, but the grace of forgiveness through Jesus. Paul here is kind of highlighting there is one Savior and he has overwhelmed me by his grace. But we may, we may ask as we, as we continue on in our passage, well, why has Paul been given this grace? Why was this grace given to him? And he, he answers that in the second half of, of verse eight. So he says, this grace was given, comma, which is very common. If you read Paul, it, it's like a giant run-on sentence, the whole book of Ephesians, just lots of commas. Why? Why was this grace given? To do something. To preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And to bring to light for everyone, for everyone, what is the plan of the mystery hidden for God in ages, hidden for ages in God who created all things. So Paul says, listen, this, I was overwhelmed by this grace and it was given to me, what? To proclaim God's grace, to proclaim God's grace. He was, he was given this grace to preach to the Gentiles, those who were outside of the covenant people of God, the, the Israelites, the Jewish people. So Paul's grace that was given to him was to be able to go and preach the good news of the gospel to them, the, the unclean individuals, what would be considered at that day, the enemies of the Jewish people. The uncircumcised, these are ways in which the scripture describes these individuals. 
They would have been outside of the covenant promises of God and not able to be a part of it. And Paul was to teach to them the unsearchable riches of Christ. You know, in our day and age, it's really hard for us to even fathom that something is unsearchable, right? How come? Amen. That's right. We have Google. We have Siri. We just ask, and it's given to us. I was, uh, I was reminded of this fact that the internet shows us everything this week. I, I have a 10, one of my boys is 10, and he looked at me the other morning, and he, in the morning, he asked these really, sometimes really deep and really silly questions all at the same time as his brain's getting going. He goes, hey, Dad, I know that there's a number named Google, G-O-O-G-O-L. How many zeros does it have? Uh, I don't know. Well, ask Google how many zeros Google has. Okay. To be honest, I had no idea, but he's really into math and numbers. Apparently, the number Google has 10 to the hundredth power number of zeros. That's one with 100 zeros after it. And so I told him, but that did not satisfy his need for knowledge. So after this, he says, uh, well, how many zeros does infinity have, Dad? Uh, okay. So I said, well, well let's, let's ask. Do you know how many zeros infinity has? Endless. It's unsearchable. Believe it or not, Google didn't have an answer for it. When you ask it, how many zeros infinity has? There is an infinite number. It's incalculable. It's unsearchable. And that is what Paul is getting at about the riches of Christ. They are beyond measure, beyond searching. They cannot be exhausted. And Paul says, I get the great privilege by God's grace to preach these unsearchable, unfathomable, uncalculable riches of Christ to the Gentiles to bring two incredibly amazing things to them. He says this, I, I get to bring this, the riches of Christ, which is number one, and, and two, the second reason that his grace was given to him was that to bring to light the plan of the mystery of God to everyone. So it's not just the Jews, but Paul says, listen, I'm going to bring the, the light of, for everyone, the plan of God's mystery. The plan of God's mystery hidden in ages for God. Paul says, the plan of the mystery. All right, so what is this plan of the mystery? All right, as you looked at last week, it's to one, a redeemed people for God's own possession. One new humanity in Christ. And what, what this does is, in verse 9, he says, listen, this is what God's plan and mystery was. I get to bring this to light for everyone so that we may see the beauty of what God was doing. So what is the purpose of this mystery, this plan of what God was doing and putting these things together? Well, the, the purpose is seen in verse 10. Paul says, so that he was given this beautiful ministry He's given this opportunity to, to, to teach the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and 
to reveal the plan of the mystery, which is this, 10, so that, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. That was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord. We'll pause there, 10 and 11. And so we see that, that Paul gets this opportunity to reveal this mystery. Why? So that God's manifold wisdom may be revealed in the church. It's a demonstration of God's grace. That is, that's what Paul is talking about here. We're to demonstrate the grace of God. And the way that we do that is that through the church. God is manifesting his Man, he's manifesting his manifold wisdom through the church. His multifaceted. Ladies, if, if you're married and you're wearing your wedding ring this morning, you're going to look at it and you're gonna, it's going to be really shiny in this direction and then you're going to turn a little bit and it's going to be shiny in this direction. You're going to turn a little bit and be shiny there. You're going to turn this way and it'll be shiny there. It has multi-facets to it. Every different angle has a different way of being able to look at it and a different way that it shines. It's multi-faceted. And that's what, what Paul is getting at here with the manifold wisdom of God. It has so many different ways to look at it. It's, it's multi-faceted. So many different things, this beautiful way in which God is revealing his wisdom and he's doing it through the church. And so we hear, see here that this is God's one instrument that he is going to be using now. See, in the Old Testament, God was using Israel to put his glory on display, use the Jewish people to say, hey, you will be my set-apart people and I will be your God, and you will be my people, and my glory will be shown to the nations by the way in which you revere me and fear me and worship me in the way that I rescue and redeem you. But what God is doing now, Paul is saying, is that it's no longer just the Jewish people. There is now the church. It is the one instrument God desires to use to put his wisdom on display. And so those who have been redeemed by the grace of God, overwhelmed by his grace, responded to his grace in faith and repentance, they get to proclaim his grace, the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and, and into glorious light. He is using you to make his multifaceted wisdom known. And how is he doing that? Well, I don't know if you've looked around at all or not, or how much time you've spent in this congregation, but what he has done is he has united a bunch of sinners into a room around the beauty of his gospel. That's what it is. The church is not a holy people, although we are called to be holy. No, we're a bunch of sinners who know we need grace and have united together to proclaim him who gives it to us, right? And so Paul says, listen, if I can bring somebody from every tongue and every tribe and every nation, if I can unite Jew and Gentile, slave, free, if I can insolent opponents and those who grew up in the church, if I can unite you together around the beauty and the proclamation of the gospel, that puts my wisdom on display. What a beautiful thing. What a beautiful thing. And so what, what proclaims God's Beauty and glory and excellence is how we are united around the truth and the hope of the gospel. 
And in doing so, in making that declaration, it manifests God's wisdom. Now, the amazing part is, is that in committing and submitting to one another, we manifest God's wisdom not to the world, although I think that we do. But Paul says here, no, it puts God's wisdom on display where? To the rulers and authority in the heavenly places. That's pretty incredible. Church, the way in which we unite together around the proclamation of the gospel and the truth of it puts God's wisdom on display in the heavenly places, both to the angels and to the authorities there, but also the demons and and the insolent opponents there. The church displays God's wisdom beyond this world. That's incredible. That should blow our mind. How on earth can we do that? Well, as we serve, as we worship, as we encourage one another, as we submit to biblical leadership, as we resolve conflict, because let's be honest, we're humans and a bunch of sinners all crammed together, there's going to be conflict, right? As we speak and care and exhort one another, these are all commands of the scripture, by the way, as we do all of these things in line with what the scripture teaches, we put God's glory on display in his wisdom. All of it matters. And so how we steward our lives matters. How we steward our relationships, our time, our talents, our energies in in the midst of the church because it declares the beauty and the wisdom of God, but also to the dying world outside. It's an incredible thing that as we are united together, we declare and demonstrate the grace of God. That's why this morning, I'm teaching here with you, demonstrating our unity across two congregations, the beauty of the fact that there is one church in central New York. It's not my church. It's not your church. It's the church of Jesus Christ. We are one new humanity under the headship of Christ. Therefore, I can look out and say, as those who profess faith in Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, I can call you. And then we're not uh, opponents. No, we're fellow outposts for the kingdom, seeking his glory. Well, Paul goes on and tells us, listen, this, verse 11, was according to the eternal purpose that God has realized in Jesus Christ our Lord. What is this eternal purpose? This seems really kind of unfathomable for us. Eternity, just like the number of zeros in affinity, is something that we just can't grasp in our minds. It's really difficult. When we think eternal, we think, okay, lasting forever. Okay, so God's purpose has always been, whoa. I don't know if you realize that. That's a pretty heavy statement all of a sudden if you begin to think about it. God's purpose has always been since before time was. It's an eternal purpose. What that means is is that God's redeeming work in Christ was not plan B. It was always the plan. That the church now, this side of Christ, has always been the plan. It's incredible to think about. In fact, it goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. 
Genesis 1.28, it gives us this eternal purpose. What, what a lot of the scripture speaks of um, as the, what's called the missio dei, the mission of God. And God has one mission. The plan of the mystery that Paul's been talking about is God's mission. And God's mission has always been to put his glory on display by redeeming a people for his own possession that would live in relationship with him and represent him to the world. I'm going to repeat that because it's a long statement and I want us to understand it really well. God's mission has always been to put his glory on display by redeeming a people for his own possession that would live in relationship with him and represent him. Think about this. Adam and Eve in the garden, Genesis 1:28. Work the garden walk in the garden with me, have relationship with me, and go and be fruitful and multiply and take my image to the ends of the earth. That's what he tells them. It's the creation mandate, the dominion mandate. Go and take my image because wherever the image of God goes, that's what God says, that's mine. Okay? A people for his possession to represent him. Well, that lasts up uh, six verses <laughs> and we mess it up. And God says, hey, Genesis 12 and 17, he goes to Abram and says, hey, Abram, I will be your God and your people will be my people if you go and listen to what I tell you to do. It's the Abrahamic covenant. Be my, pe- be my people, I will be your God. And I will give you a place, not Eden, because that's closed now, but I will give you a place where you can worship me freely. Well, The story continues throughout the Old Testament as the covenant promise is renewed with Isaac and Jacob. However, the people of Israel, only a partial picture of the kingdom of God. They were his people. Canaan was the place, and yet they more often than not failed to live under God's righteous rule. I'm summarizing, you know, 40 some odd books here, okay? Although God had blessed them and was using them to be a blessing to the nations, they walked away and time and time again, as uh, Malachi uh, writes, and many of the prophets had called the Israelites to repentance and obedience and at the same time prophesied about a new covenant. Jeremiah 31 and Ezekiel 36, they write about these things. God is doing something new. I will make a new covenant with you and I will write my, my new covenant on your heart. That's what Jeremiah tells us. And God says, hey, this eternal plan, there is one mission I am on to make a people for my own possession that would know me, live in relationship with me, love me, care, worship, and then also represent me to the world. God has redeemed us, not for ourselves, not so that we can be closed in these four little walls, but so that the nations outside of these walls would know that he is God. This is the eternal purpose, the, the missio day, the one mission that he is on. And he's still on it today and desires to use the church to do so. Well, what does that mean for us as well? That means that there, every single one of you are essential to the mission of God. He desires to use you, wants to, has called you to do so. And at the same time, verse 12 says that we have an opportunity that even in the midst of that, we can draw near to him. 
See, he says this, the eternal purpose was realized, so was shown, realized, made known in Jesus our Lord, in whom, so through Jesus, we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. There is a, a tremendous closeness. Our God is not uh, far and away. No, he gives us boldness and access to him by faith in Christ. We can draw near to him. If any of this feels overwhelming this morning, you know, being able to, to uh, the overwhelmingness of God's grace, the proclaiming God's grace, the demonstrating God's grace, and you kind of go, man, goodness, there's a, a whole lot there, and I feel incredibly overwhelmed <laughs> by all of this. How can I do any of that? Start by drawing near to God by faith in Christ. And he, who is gracious and generous, will give you more grace and understanding, and love you well. Paul wraps up and says, listen, Ephesians, and Paul writes this last verse here as we close this morning, sitting in a jail cell writing to the Ephesians. He's imprisoned. He said, listen, I ask you not to lose heart. Just because I'm jailed and I'm imprisoned for the sake of the gospel doesn't mean you should lose heart. The gospel is going to go forth. I'm going to write most of my books from a prison cell. The gospel's not going to be stopped because Rome doesn't like me. It's going to go forth. Don't lose heart over the fact that I'm suffering because my suffering is for the sake of the gospel and for your glory. I am suffering these things so that others may see that the gospel is worth it. So others may see that the gospel is worth it. I hope this morning is, as you go from this place, that you would recognize just how overwhelming the grace of God has been, both in your life and even in the lives of others. And that that overwhelming understanding of God's grace um, propels you out on a mission to proclaim that. Peter tells us that we should always be ready to give an account for the hope that we have in Christ. That's proclaiming the beauty of God's grace in our lives. What has he done? And as we do that, we proclaim God's grace both out here in the world, but as we gather together around the means of grace, around the preaching of the word, around baptism and, and sacraments, uh, uh, ordinances of, of the Lord's Supper and baptisms, we experience these means of grace. We demonstrate God's grace to us. So I pray that as we wrestle with those things, that we would grow deeper in our understanding of grace and that you would be propelled out to share God's grace. Amen? Amen. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father of all grace and mercy, we come before you this morning and thank you so much. Thank you that you have given your grace to us. Paul writes and tells us in Philippians that you did not consider equality with God something to be understood, but in your grace and kindness and mercy, you humbled yourself, took on flesh and came to earth took on flesh, you tabernacled among us, dwelt with us. 
Lord, and as you did so, you showed us what it is to walk in relationship with God. Lord, but also to sacrifice and give oneself. Lord, I pray that you would help us each to daily pick up our cross and follow you. To de- declare the glories of him who called us out of darkness and into glorious light. Lord, and as we do so, Lord, that people would come to know the one true God. That as we represent you well, as we live for your holiness, Father, that we would be a sweet and compelling aroma to the world around us. Father, we ask these things in the only name under heaven in which we can be saved, the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for tuning in with us. We hope that you found this sermon edifying, encouraging, and challenging. To learn more about Vintage Faith Church, visit vintagefaithcicero.com. And of course, if you live in the area, we invite you to worship the Lord with us on Sunday mornings.